0: to St. Catherine's. What is it that makes St. Catherine St. Catharines? And even thinking more broadly than that, what is it that makes the church the church? And, and, and like I said uh, a few weeks ago, there's a reason that we need to do that. Because we uh, vision leaks. We, we forget. We forget what matters. We forget what's most important uh, in our life uh, as the church, and we forget, uh, and we can lose focus at times and drift from the very things that God has called us out uh, to be. And I think it's a really, really healthy thing for the life of any church for us to be able to get better and better at telling our story. I think it's a really healthy thing for, for any church for us to get clearer and clearer together About why we do what we do. Paul's on this, he's searching for the mic that has just uh, disappeared. Uh, Maybe the Lord has taken it. Here's a little bit of a roadmap, Uh, not in order of importance or in order of the talks that we've been doing, uh, but towards the end of last month, uh, we started out by reflecting together as a community what does it mean to build on Jesus? What does it mean to put Jesus first? What does it mean for Jesus to be our uh, sole focus? Which I'm sure we would all agree, uh, whether it's for any church or any individual, having Jesus at the center of our lives is something that's crucially important. Uh, A few weeks ago as well, we looked at the value and significance of authentic community. And community not just being a gathering of people, a smaller gathering of people, but ultimately a community, an authentic community that would be a sign and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Uh, One of the other foundations of our life together and part of the culture that we're trying to develop here at St. Catherine's. As we close out the series on the 21st, we're going to be thinking about together what does it mean to play our part? What does it mean to take the things that we're good at, the resources and the time and the energy and the emotions that we have available to us, and to to pour those things back into the kingdom, pour those things back into the life of this church to serve the wider uh, church family. And today we're going to be thinking and talking about finances and what it means to give generously. But the purpose, the purpose in revisiting the foundations of our life together is not just to give you all more information on top of all of the other information that you're carrying around. The purpose of the series is to, uh, in digging down and refreshing uh, our thoughts and our reflecting on these core values, the reason we're doing that is so that I can bring a challenge to us as a community. Are you in? Are you all in? Do you want these things? Are you with us in this season as we go forward? Is your focus on Jesus? Have you found one of the connect groups? Have you joined a connect group in the life of the church where alongside of attending here on a Sunday, you're a part of a community where people know you? Who are you working out your faith with? in terms of the question we're going to ask on the 21st. But what does it mean for you to take the gifts and the resources that you have available to you and to serve, to play your part? And that's not just trying to get the, you know, the, it's not like drawing blood. It's not trying to get the most out of our folks. It's because the reality is, is that it can't all be about me. It can't all be about the staff. Our future as a church, it rests in all of our hands. Collectively, I can't do it without you. We cannot do what God is calling us to do in this city without you playing your part. And that means that you have something intrinsically valuable to the broader sense of what God is doing, but also to the very fabric and the makeup of the life of this church. You, you have something valuable to contribute. It's not just all about what's happening at the front and the staff, and the volunteers, and all of that. And I want to be asking us today, are you committed to giving financially to St. Catharines? And these four key areas, they're not mutually exclusive. And this next slide is not meant to look like applied maths. I suppose it's just trying to get us to think about this in a slightly different way. But if you look at it, there's a flow. It starts with Jesus. It starts with J. Jesus is the launch pad for everything. Putting Jesus first changes everything. We thought about this towards the end of last month. Putting Jesus first doesn't just change some things. Putting Jesus first changes everything. It changes all of life, not just some of us. I've used these next two images before as we've thought about this and reflected on this in the past as a community. But the Christian life, is it's a little bit more like a peach than an orange. Owen has lost his mind. What is he talking about? But let's just kind of just reflecting on this together, okay? What's the difference between a peach and an orange? A peach is wholly centered on one thing. It's not kind of encased, yes, we get that, but kind of individually segmented up. One thing separate to the other, not maybe touching the other, but actually not all together and mixed. And that makes it very, very different to the structure of an orange, a peach, where everything is separate. The point I'm making here, and it's simple, really, but Jesus' lordship over our lives... It needs to touch and is meant to transform all of what it means to be human. Jesus' lordship over our lives is meant to transform and to reach every part of us. Not just some parts, but every part. Before we move back to... um, Ireland from living in the UK four years ago. We had the privilege of working in a church in a place called Worcester. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard about it or or been there. It's where they make the famous sauce, very smelly, and um, it's a good place, but it smells. And one of the 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 Anglican church is kind of slightly structured differently in that um, local churches don't own their own rectories and vicarages. The, the diocese does. So when we moved to Worcester to do my curacy, the diocese just gave us a house to move into. This house was amazing. It was massive. And we, it was probably the nicest house we've ever lived in. Beautiful view of the Malvern Hills, such a beautiful space. But it was a wreck. And before we moved in, um, the church did it up. Or so I thought. So I thought. We were, like, you know, emailing and being all businesslike. Well, we've ordered these blinds. They'll be coming. If you could just put them up in all the rooms. And we were getting swabs of colors and sending them on. This is the color we'd like, this room and that room. Because we thought it was all being taken care of. About two or three weeks after moving in, I realized that actually not only had a couple in the church project managed the whole thing, But actually, they had done a lot of the work. All the restoration of the parquet flooring, everything. They had actually paid for every part of it. I was mortified. Because I'd been saying to this, is this done? Have you received this? I was like, oh, what's she going to think? Well, she's going to know the truth. I'm impatient. But I remember going up to her a couple of weeks after finding out that her and her husband had done all of this. And I said, can I just speak to you? I've just found out. She said, can I stop you there? I was like, oh no, she's gonna give me double barrels here. She said, it was all for the king. It was all for the king. There's not many times in my moment where someone has just said a sentence or a phrase and has just struck me to the core. I thought she really, really meant that with her whole heart. It was it wasn't for you. It was all for the king. It was worship. Jesus was, was, was first. It was all for him. And that's why I think it's so important that we learn to revisit these things and to find out whether or not we've, we, we, we've, we've ever drifted. I wonder which uh, image best suits or, you know, sums up the place that you're at at the moment. Are there segments of your life where Jesus isn't king are there segments of your life where you actually you're saying, oh, no, hands off, Jesus, I'll give you this, but not, not that. That's too difficult. That's too hard. That's too costly. Are there areas we don't bring to him? Are there areas we don't talk to him about? Are there areas where we just get on with doing things the way that we want them to be done? And I think that's what's so attractive to me, about the imagery of the peach. With Jesus at the center, with Jesus first, all of life is touched and brought into new possibilities. Even, St. Catherine's, even our finances. Our finances, in discipleship, our finances can be brought into new possibilities. And that's what I want us to talk about for a few minutes. I want to try and do that. I've really, really wrestled as I've prepared to talk about money this week. It's not gift day. There's nothing coming. You don't have to worry. There's no... It's not like Conor McGregor last night, the poor fella. Believe it or not, you do not... You you, you do not um, leave theological college with just raft of sermon templates on how to talk about money when you start to lead a church. which you could argue, I think, is a terrible way to prepare anyone for public ministry, considering how much uh, we think and talk about money. Even today, it's funny, knowing what I was going to be doing today, I actually reached out to some church leader friends. I said, hey, would you mind just sending me, uh, send on the last talk that you did on uh, money? I didn't get one response. And I think it's probably they're very, they're very busy to talk to someone uh, uh, as insignificant as me. Um, uh, but really, I, I think there's still this funny way that we approach talking about money, this kind of attitude of, oh, I don't know if we've got this right, so I'm just going to keep what we've said to ourselves. Over the years, I, I, I've been a part of churches... And, and, and they've tended to, and this is an overgeneralization, an oversimplification, but they've tended to talk about finances in three different ways. And I just want to very quite quickly just summarize them here for us. This slide leads us through them. Teaching uh, primarily, I think my experience is giving as an amount, which is thinking primarily through the lens of the Old Testament principle or agricultural principle of tithing, the idea being that we are called to give 10% of all that we have back to God. And as sometimes, though not always, alongside of that, there's been further teaching on something called offerings, the expectation being that we give 10% of all that we have to God, and alongside of that, there are moments, or there are times when we're inspired to give above and beyond that to a specific thing, which leads us on to the next word, teaching focus over the years, I've seen a response to vision. This is true of our church and many other churches like us, where there's a day in the year where this new idea or this kind of new kind of focus or vision or, or something about the way that we're going, and giving is encouraged in response to that. And that's certainly that's one of the things that we do in, uh, in response to how we look at and respond to giving, a step of faith where a step of faith is required uh, additional uh, fund funds are more finances are needed and then finally uh, thirdly i know i'm i'm just running through these but there was a, over the years there's been a teaching uh, that was essentially giving in response to need or response to crisis Uh, When I was away on retreat uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took with me a a vision talk that one of the previous pastors had done on our 10-year anniversary here in St. Catharines. And I was refreshed. Even at that stage, they were asking for a huge amount of money because the tower wasn't fixed and there was all kinds of leaks that we didn't know were there and all this kind of stuff. That actually having a building like this, there are many crisis points. But sometimes it's a family in need. Sometimes it's a global crisis that we say, as a church, we want to respond to this. We want to give above and beyond what we normally give to something specific to meet a need. And over the years, I've seen... And that happened time and time again as we kind of think ourselves, well, this is what God's given us in terms of our finances. What could we be doing? What could we give in terms of blessing foreign missions or different societies around the world? All three parts of these that we've just kind of brushed over have played a significant part in the picture for financial giving that we've seen, that I've seen over the years. Maybe your experience is Similar to that, and uh, might I add, there is biblic, There are biblical passages to support all three of these uh, approaches to financial giving in terms of what we, what our posture is in the church. But, but, if I'm honest, I've often really, really struggled with how these three things have been communicated. I don't know what your experience is or how you've found it. And either it was one of three things. Again, it was either I found the way that the churches that I've been in over the years have talked quite manipulatively about money. Well, it says this in the Bible. So we should just do it. Don't question it. Just do it. Or the way that it's been communicated about finances, it's just been incoherent. It says, I just don't, I just don't understand what you're asking me to do or Why? Or, on the opposite end of the spectrum, money hasn't been talked about at all. Or anywhere near the amount of challenge that we should have, I think, as a part of our discipleship. Actually, money is a big part of life. It makes sense that we think about what God's place is within it. And what does it look like to take all that he's given us and to give it back to him? Because it's his, Right? And so growing up over the last 25 years in the church, I think, I'm not sure I've always had a good handle on this, on what we do with our finances, and what that says about our discipleship. But what we've been learning, what Becky and I have, learned, uh, have been learning over the years is that long before giving is ever an amount, it's an attitude. Long before it's ever an em- Now, of course, it will become an actual amount of money. We choose to give this amount or that amount. I understand that. But before we ever get to that stage, I do believe it needs to be an attitude. And this is, I suppose, one of the issues I have with this percentage piece, this amount piece. From the teachings on tithes and offerings. Now, maybe, and I think that this is okay, it's a fine um, part of the conversation, it's a good benchmark It's a good idea. Well, that's a place to start from. But giving is an attitude that flows out of our relationship with God. And that's what's so helpful about this whole peach versus orange thing. It challenges us to own the places in our lives that may be off limits to God. Deciding what to give is important. How much we give, what what we give to but it needs to be, the first step needs to be relationship with God. Taking time to get alone with God and say, Lord, you know what I have. Everything I have is come from you. What would you like me to do with it? What would you like me to do with it? And so if there's just, that would be the win for me today. If there's just one thing that you take away from this morning, let it, let it be that that we all, together as a community, move just that one step closer to saying, Lord, everything I have is yours. It's come from you. Just like this picture suggests. Where the segments, all the walls come down. And there isn't one thing, well, this is, this is yours, Lord. You can speak to me about that, but that's off limits. But actually, no, it's about letting the walls down. It's about getting to the place where we say, Jesus, Lord of all, everything I have comes from you be first in my life. Show me all what, what to do with what you've given me. There's nothing off limits. Let your kingdom come. Use me. Use what I have. As limited as it might be. Use us. Send us. I found a, a quote as I was preparing. I want to read it to you. It's, there's quite a bit to it. I see what stands out to you. It's from the uh, author A.W. Tozer. Many of us, as Christians, he says, have become extremely skillful in arranging our lives so as to admit the truth of the Christian faith without being embarrassed by its implications. We arrange things so that we can get on well enough without divine aid, while at the same time extensively seeking it out. We boast in the Lord, but we watch carefully that we never get caught depending on him. This dichotomy, this challenge, this wrestle of saying, yeah, and and the fluency and I suppose the ease of being able to say these things in worship and, Lord, I'm with you, Lord, you're first, Lord, I'm all in. But the implications of that is that all of life is touched. Nothing can stay the same. It's all for the King. All for the King. Disciples of Jesus, we're called to live in total dependence on Him in every area of life, not just some areas of life. This includes our finances. and I've had to do this again and again and again over the years, I've had to silently say, it feels very costly to give like this, but I don't want to live in that fear of scarcity, Lord. It's, it's, you know, I can remember this one, one situation where I think it was a gift day here in this church, and Betty, as she normally does, wants to be really generous. She's so much more freer when it comes to money than I am. She said, look at all we have, off, she said. Let's just, you know, let's just bet it all on Jesus. And I wrestled, and I gave reluctantly. I have to be honest with you, with fear in my heart. And I can remember I was away. I was invited to go and lead worship at a conference in Chantham. And I was at the dinner table in my friend Neil's house, and the phone rang. And as many times I've picked up the phone, it was Becky, and she was crying on the other end. That happens quite, quite a lot in our house from time to time. And she said, you're never going to guess. We've just had a check through the post. Now, we were in debt at the time because we'd had a couple of things, appliances break in the house, and we needed to put them on the credit card, and we didn't, we didn't have the money for them. And I was really nervous, because I'd never been in debt before, and I hated it. I felt like I was just constantly under something. And she said, it's almost all of the money that we need. And I cried too, put the (laughs) phone down. She called me back 10 minutes later. It was a sterling check. (laughs) It was to the penny before euros and cents it was to the penny everything we needed our, our journey of this costly walk of giving has been incredibly challenging but God like we said, we've sang repeatedly this morning God has never failed us yet never so let's keep these things in mind as we look at our text. Helen has finally agreed. She's been waiting patiently. Um, did, we, did we get the mic, Paul? It's down there somewhere. Okay. Here it is. Thanks, Elaine. So if you've got a Bible uh, on your seats, we're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4.
1: No, Mark. Oh,
0: Mark. She knows what she's doing. I don't. (laughs) Uh, Mark, chapter 4. If you've got your... If you read your Bible on your phone, feel free to open up. Um, It's page
1: 1005, if you've got one of the church-read Bibles, if that helps. The parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. "'Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. "'It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. "'But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched "'and they withered because they had no root. "'Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants "'so they did not bear grain. "'Still other seed fell on good soil. "'It came up, grew, and produced a crop.' multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you.
0: Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that in the same way you inspired Mark to write these words, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we reflect on them together. And we ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, um, I can still remember when the kids were small, sitting at the kitchen table, and listening to and quizzing them on their times tables. Once you got through the fives, you got on to the sixes. And once you got the sixes down, you moved on to the sevens. Because that's how it works in the world of multiplication. You start out small, and you end up learning about bigger numbers. And this is, interestingly enough, one of the things that we can see coming up in Mark chapter 4. In this parable, Jesus is teaching about the multiplication of the kingdom of God in, in our lives, yes, but in, through partnering with God and giving out of what we have, our joining in with what God is doing in the world around us and in, in the lives of other people. And he's using the multipliers of 30, 60, and 100 to make his point, now, some of the language here, some of the imagery might be lost on all of us townies. Now, I know that's a huge overgeneralization, over but the codes and the, 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 the images in this story are all taken very carefully by Mark from what would have been Jesus' own biblical understanding and his, um, his own context of, uh, of his time. A, a sower sowing seed, it's not just a another familiar everyday thing from farming life. For Jesus and for all of his hearers, it would have been a picture for them of God sowing Israel back into her own land again after years of exile and separation. It's a prophetic picture of God restoring the fortunes of his people. It's a prophetic picture of God making the family farm fruitful again. Uh, after all the thorns and thistles had had their way with it for too long. And just in my study and sitting with the text, I've learned too that some biblical commentators say actually this is like, a, like a, another reference to the Garden of Eden. Why is that important? Because it's the place that provides us with the most powerful picture of what being in a right relationship with God looks like. It's one of, the, one of the places that we go to get a powerful picture of what right relationships with other people look like. Why is that interesting or even important? Imagine our conversations about giving and finances involving not just God, but actually the needs of others and the world around us. Jesus, it would seem, thinks of everything. This text is full of deep meaning. And whatever else it teaches us, I think there's a lot of different layers and levels to this, I think it speaks right to the heart of the conversation that we're attempting to start this morning around our finances. The bottom line being this. What we do with what we have in terms of how we offer it back to God and serve other people with it, is of huge significance in terms of the multiplication of God's inbreaking kingdom and his redeeming of all things in our lives and in the world around us. And I want to be clear that I have absolutely no idea what your financial situation is. And for what it's worth, I want to tell you, I deliberately, not every pastor does this i have no idea who gives what and that's very very deliberate i always want to be in front of somebody and actually they they're not thinking anything do they know i missed or do they know about that time do i need to explain it i never ever want that to be between me and somebody else Of course, there's times around gift day where I'm aware that this junk has come in, that junk has come in, this has changed, that has changed. But I never, ever pursue who gives what. And I want you to know that with confidence. But what I do know is that God calls each of us to give back to him out of what we have. I do know that. Even if that means no safety buffer for ourselves. Even if that means less for us overall and giving freedom to others. Even if that seems like God is calling us to give beyond our ability to give. But God will do what only God can do and bring about a multiplication in our lives that we never thought was possible. God will provide for all your needs. Do you believe that? God will provide for your needs. Do you believe that? So do I. But if we just see giving as an amount, thinking not about multiplication, Thinking about subtraction instead, if we just see giving as an amount that's subtracted each week or each month from what we earn, God's invitation to partner with Him in the redeeming of all things and giving out of what we've got to give, it's only ever going to feel like an irritant or a juicy, but that's not the case, that shouldn't be the case. Remember, it's an attitude, it's about relationship, it's about going to Him and saying, Abba this is what I got. You know what I need. You know what my outgoings are. You know where I live. You know this. You knew that. But what would you like me to give? What are you calling me to give back to you, to your church, your people, and to other people around me? If we see it as an inconvenience or an intrusion, a subtraction in what we have, of what's ours, I think we miss out on the adventure of multiplication. Firstly, I think we miss out on seeing all that God can do in our lives with 80 or 90% of what we earn versus what we can make happen with 100% of what we earn. I think that's one of the things that we can miss out on. But with that, we miss out on what God can do in the lives of other people, with what we've given away. Our whole family, and I don't just mean the Hesop family of five, I mean our whole extended family was blessed by that couple in Worcester that said, all for the king. And they gave sacrificially, above and beyond what they gave to the church, to make a home for us. And hundreds of people came in and out of that house over the three years that we were there. Their blessing of us was a blessing of countless other people. The basic message from this text is that when we add God into the equation of our finances, it changes everything. The question is do we, do you add God into the equation? of what you do with your money this is one of the key foundations of our life together in st catharines because i've seen it with my eyes i've seen us standing here at the front while a bishop is knocking on the door with his crook and then the door's opened and we worshiped together that night this building was derelict it was shut down it was closed But there was people who gave. There there was people, there was old age pensioners that gave sacrificially. There was was families that sold their inheritance. Think of the years that we've been in this space. The people who've come from all over the world to be in this space. Because sacrificial and costly giving made made it possible. Sorry. It's not meant to be about manipulation. It's not meant to be about putting pressure. But the thing is is that people's sacrificial giving has meant that for us. My life is different because of this space and what God's done here. And we, I don't want us to miss out on the adventure because this isn't it. We're talking about this for, oh, man, get yourself together. Been talk- we've been talking about this for a year. But we're not done. We've had 25 great years, but we're not done. I want that building next door. I want to see people's lives changed. I want to see youth. I want to see their lives changed. I want to see our children No, God, we can't do that without money. This isn't gift day. I'm not, there's nothing coming. I'm just trying to be honest with you, you know. I know that I'm kind of straying into this territory. It's like, oh, don't, don't say that about money. Don't, things are tired enough. Things are tight enough. Things are stretched enough. How am I going to to give more than I'm already giving? I I get it. I feel that my bank balance is is as stretched as the next. But he's not going to use strangers' money. Maybe we'll get gifts. Maybe Maybe that will happen. But a lot of it will be about our money. It'll be our money collectively that enables us to try new things. I don't know if we can continue on the path we are in right now financially we need things to change. I'm not trying to shock anyone. I'm not trying to stir the past or to manipulate or put pressure on. But realistically, we can't keep going on the path that we're going. Things are getting tighter and tighter and tighter for us in terms of our finances. We desperately need things to change. And that's just to keep things going the way they're going. Forget about trying to do something new. Forget about trying to buy a building for Counseling and for continuous prayer and partnering with other people in the city to do great things for the kingdom's sake. I forgot my notes. I hope that's okay. I don't want to offend anybody. But this is part of our story. This very space being renewed into, to a worship space It came at great cost. And thousands of people have benefited from us. I think God's calling us to take new risks. This isn't the end of the story for our church. He's calling us to do great things in our city. God's called us to have a city-wide focus and aim. And it seems impossible because our, our, we don't have reserves. We don't have savings. We're really up against it. But I'm saying it in faith, prophetically, because I'll regret it if I don't. When's the last time you spoke to God about money? How did that conversation go? When's the last time you spoke to God about how to use what you have? How do you decide... Assuming you do give. How do you decide what you give? What does that conversation go like? Are you giving enough? Are you giving what God's told you to give? Have you asked him? We don't give to get. That would be a damaging thing to come away from all of this from in terms of what, what this word about multiplication and giving is all about. But when we take what we have, this is what Mark 4 shows us. When we sow what we've been given and partner with God, he brings the multiplication in our lives and in the lives of other people around us. So on a practical level, here's how to give. If you don't already give into the life of St. Catharines, you can give through a standing order. That's probably one of the most tax efficient ways to do it. You can write a check. You can write a check today. You can give um, in the envelope scheme, which is a a way of continuing to give cash each week or each month and enabling us to track it and to, to get the tax back off of it. Or just keep giving in cash if that's what your preference is. Or you can give online through PayPal. There's lots, of practical inf- if you, there's lots more practical information. We actually have flyers for this. If you want to ask me any questions or if you have any concern about anything I've said today, do come and find me um, before you go home. But I wanted us to close today by praying because there's a couple of things in terms of our finances that we really need prayer about. Here they are, all five. We need to pray for our monthly giving to increase. We need our financial position to change that way. We need creativity in terms of how to utilise this space. How can we rent it out to others? How can we use it more? Because our, our hopes and aspirations for a predicted income from the building this year haven't worked at all. And there's a number of contributing factors to that. We need to come up with creative ideas for fundraising. Um, again, it's all of our journey up to this stage has been about going and asking grants, and we've had um, building work happening uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Again, not really, you know, not money we really, really had. We kind of had to beg, borrow, uh, not steal, obviously. Um, We need to pray for a long-term solution to our rectory. So a couple of years back, we took uh, up an offering, a hugely generous offering for the rectory, but we still that's still a, in ring-fenced in our, in our bank accounts. We haven't touched it at all, because none of the options that we thought were available to us at the time panned out. So we haven't been able to use that as a down payment, a deposit, I mean. We haven't been able to buy something, but that's something. We're renting the house that Becky and I live. The rent is far too much money, and we really need to do something about that. And we need to pray for the trustees and for the, for the, for the Nehemiah committee that they have wisdom uh, and understanding uh, as we carry this together um, in terms of our f- finances and our funds. So what I'd love you to do is just take a minute, look at them. I'm going to get us to break up into twos and threes and just to pray about these things. Uh, uh, May and the band, if you guys could come back up and play over us as we're, as we're praying. Yeah, sorry, Emma, here.
1: I just really feel glad that number six needs to be praying for Owen. You were so vulnerable here this morning, and you, you shared what is hard to share to a congregation. It's hard to share what he's just shared to a congregation. But it's truth. It's truth. And I, I just feel that, that the, an attack nearly could come on you after this service for what you've shared. And we as the congregation need to stand with our pastor today and just hold his arms up and say, we're here with you. We're with what you're sharing today and in all you're sharing over these last few weeks. What, what Owen is doing in this church, you know, he's, he's, he's going where God is calling us and he's trying to take us along. And there's there's stumbling blocks and there's hurdles and there's boundaries and there's there's pushing against and pushing for. But but as, if we're the congregation here, we need to stand with him. So I just, before we...